welcome to Let's Talk About Dreams. I'm Brandon Hogstead. And I'm Eleni Mathieu. Today we have an interview with our friend Bud. We know Bud through the queer and sex positive community here in Brooklyn. Their performance name is Bud Light. In this episode, we talk about porn and sex work. We want to be explicit about our belief that sex work is work and should not be criminalized. And we also believe that ethical porn can be a vehicle for queer liberation. During this episode, we touch on many themes, including gender and body norms and ideals, internalized self-shaming patterns, and the role of structure, scripts, and expectations in our daily lives. We recorded this conversation midway through 2020, relatively early into the pandemic, but the themes we touched on transcend that specific window of time. We hope you enjoy. So, but you got any juicy dreams for us today? <laughs> um, yeah, so at Eleni's instruction, I have been writing down dreams because I have a lot of them lately. I have been sleeping at pretty irregular times. So I usually go to sleep at like 9 or 10 p.m. And then I wake up almost every night between 3 and 4 a.m. And it's at that point where I usually have something to write down. So the things that I have written here are written between 3 and 4 a.m. Writing them down has been really helpful because even if it's like almost indecipherable when I wake up, which sometimes it is, I can go back and it jogs my memory and then I can write out yeah. in a more legible way what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a few that are notable. This one happened three or four days ago. I was in Berlin and I was doing sex work and porn and I was being supported by my sex worker friend. We'll just call her Rachel. So Rachel is a friend of mine and is a sex worker in New York. And she basically was just there supporting me and showing me the ropes and stuff. And my mom was there and she knew about everything that was happening and she was really horrified to see what was going on. She somehow saw my debut scene in porn and was horrified. She was doing this thing that she does where she gets really quiet and she's kind of not all there, which is how she reacts to things when she's disappointed or terrified or just in general not pleased with something. And I just remember like being at an agency that was distributing the porn that I was in and my friend Rachel being there with me and trying to convince my mom that it was okay and everything was fine and my mom being like really upset and quiet. Yeah, so that was the first one. All right, very interesting. It's very cool that you're having these dreams that are incorporating your burgeoning porn career. Yeah. First dream, Berlin doing sex work and porn. And you're being supported by Rachel. Mm -hmm. When you say being supported, do you mean supported financially? No, more like just like emotionally. And how did that feel being supported by Rachel? It felt very familiar to me because we are actually like pretty good friends in real life. I guess when you say that it felt familiar, did you feel like it was a source of security? Yes. However, my relationship with this person in real life is a little bit 
chaotic, I would say. Anytime we get together, we're very much just getting really drunk. And it's like that kind of relationship, which is fine. It's good to have friends like that. But so like secure and familiar, but like with the caveat that we often just get super drunk together and egg each other on in that way. So this is your friend that that you feel safe with, but that you can also kind of spiral with, that you can kind of feed each other forward. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then your mom is there. Tell us about your relationship with your mom. So not great. We went for a pretty long period of time without speaking. I blocked her about a year ago from, you know, my phone, like all social media. And I didn't have any contact with her until very recently, just because of, you know, global pandemic will, will bring like any family together a little bit, I guess. So yeah, not a not a super good relationship, but it's getting a bit better now. Your mom was horrified to know that you were doing this, and she saw your debut. She got quiet, and she wasn't all the way there, and that's how she reacts when she gets disappointed and terrified. She basically just like expressed disappointment and, I guess, disgust. On one level, this image of your mother could be very literal, I imagine, that her reaction is probably a very realistic reaction, you would say about how you would expect her to react to learning about your debut role in a, in a porn film? Yes. There's a surface level here that just seems to be the, the superficial, this is how my mom would react if she knew I was doing this. But I'm curious if there's a deeper layer that might also be operating. People in our dreams are often not only themselves, but everybody else in your dream is also you. When you see somebody in a dream, it's not only necessarily that person, but some aspect of that person that you actually see in yourself and that you're grappling with yourself. When you're dreaming about this other person, you're actually battling a projection of that person that you see in yourself. And I'm curious if there's something there, your mom's reaction that she gets quiet and she's disappointed and she's terrified and disgusted. Is there some aspect of yourself that seems to be grappling with these feelings as well? Like, are these feelings that come up in you in any kind of way or in any certain situation. Hmm. And it might not even necessarily need to do directly with this porn scene, this notion of seeing your mom, who's a very charged figure in your life, in your dream. I'm curious if those feelings that you saw in your mom are coming up in your life in any way, whether it's in work or in your personal life, Yeah. your love life. Hmm. your friendships, your relationships, like are those feelings coming up for you in any of your other relationships? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. When you talk about it in relation to doing porn, it doesn't feel like that's where it might be coming from, but there are definitely other areas that I would say are being affected or I'm feeling affected by internalized things that I have learned starting with my mom and then throughout the rest of my life, things that I have internalized about bodies and what they're supposed to look like. And one thing that immediately makes me think about this is being on testosterone for over a year now, my body is changing a lot. And um, I have been doing like a pretty serious weight training program for the past five, six months. And my body looks a lot different. I actually just went through my Finsta yesterday and I was looking at photos from 2018 and I was a lot thinner. I had a lot less muscle 
And I did a direct comparison of a photo from yesterday. Yesterday, I took this photo of myself and it's like, I'm a lot more muscular. I sent it to like a couple of my friends and immediately their response was that I look beefy, which is cool. But it definitely like kind of triggered something in the back of my mind that was disturbing to me and made me feel a little bit disgusted with my body. When you're socialized as a woman, if you're born and assigned female at birth, nobody ever talks about like weight, weight gain, beefiness, muscle, all of those things are really, really negative culturally. So hearing my friends look at these photos of me and say, wow, you've gotten so much beefier and you're a lot more muscular. Like somehow, even though that is the goal for me right now, it made me a little bit ashamed of something that I potentially have lost in the last two years, which is a smaller frame, a more feminine frame, like things that I don't actually feel like I want, but it still feels like a bit of a failure somehow. I mentioned that I have recently gotten back in touch with my mom. And one of the things she asked me on a recent phone call was like, are you like exercising? I explained to her that I have weights at home. I'm lifting weights here. I have a pull-up bar. I have resistance bands. You know, I'm continuing my weight program. And I mentioned that I'm not, I'm not losing any weight. That's good. And she's like, oh, you know, like I, it, it just kind of felt like she doesn't, she doesn't really understand like what my goals are right now. And to her maintaining weight or like building muscle when you're not able to go to the gym, like that doesn't seem like an achievement. However, my brother who lives in California, he's like a rock climber. She mentioned him and she's like, oh, your brother, like he might lose some weight. That could be bad. That could be bad. And I'm like, yeah, but what about me? Like, why, why don't you have like the same thought related to me? You know, like I'm, I have a lot of the same goals as my brother right now in terms of body. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's what, what I'm getting at with the disgust. I think you might be tapping into it because I think it's interesting to, to look at these images that are often seem very obvious where it's like, Oh, my mom's disappointed in me having a porn career, but I know that I'm not actually ashamed of that. So what am I actually feeling, right? Like, where is that a feeling actually being directed at? When these images occur in our dreams, it's often operating on multiple levels. And the more vivid an image is, I think the more often it is actually operating on, you know, various aspects of our lives where this theme is recurring. And this notion of disgust, that feeling of disgust that you saw in your mom, it echoed that feeling of disgust that you felt when your friends complimented you on being beefy. You know, it it hit that button where you felt disgusted with yourself. And that reminded you of those times that your mom felt disgusted with you. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's so ingrained because you said yourself, like, it's not actually something that, like, as in what you're achieving is what you want to be achieving. So it's not actually like what you really feel, but it's so deep and ingrained that the instinctual reaction is like, oh, like I'm getting bigger. Like that's not something that I should want based on like all of the things I've been told for like however many years of my life, even though all of those things are not actually true to me. That is true of what is expected. Yeah you were able to recognize that the conflict, the tension between what you want now versus the kind of programming that you've internalized from your childhood, despite the programming that 
still exists and is lurking in your subconscious, your subconscious is actually able to separate it out and show it to you and say, look, this is not you. This is actually what you've internalized from your mother. You can take the image, you see that it's your mother, and then you say, okay, well, everyone in my dream is myself. And then you see, where is this affecting me? And then you flip it again and you say, wow, this, this feeling of disgust that I've internalized in myself is actually from an external source. Yeah. Yep. That resonates. So the next dream. So this one happened last night and it was by far the most vivid dream that I had in the last several weeks. In this dream, I was filming a series of music videos. They were like basically shorts, film shorts, and there was a huge crew and I knew one of them. The director was definitely somebody that I've recently worked with and a person who is like pretty big in the New York porn scene. So they were the director of these shorts. And other than that, I didn't know any of the crew. Notably, my first girlfriend ever was the lead. So this was somebody I went to high school with She was my best friend. We were friends for like a while before I basically admitted to her that I was in love with her and I wanted to be with her. And that was like a whole thing, but we did actually date for a while secretly, but we broke up when she decided that none of it actually was real and she's straight. And to this day, I'm pretty sure she still identifies as straight, but she basically invalidated the romantic relationship that was super important to me in high school. That actually fucked me up for a while. I think I'm still pretty fucked up over it, which is why I still have dreams about it. But yeah, she's been in a lot of my dreams lately. But basically we were filming all these scenes. There were several different ones. Probably the most memorable one was we were in this concrete building. It was like a big derelict concrete building. We were filming in an attic in like a concrete building, but there was this mechanism to get people up into the attic. It was like a ladder, but also a pulley because we had a lot of camera equipment and stuff. So we couldn't just have the ladder. We needed to have something else to lift all of the heavy equipment into the space. And in that particular scene, I was wearing a ski mask, like a black knitted ski mask, kind of like scrubs like doctor scrubs. There were like a lot of strobes. The vibe was very much kind of scary. It was like scary, cool goth vibes. But yeah, I was wearing a ski mask. She was wearing a red flowy dress, really low cut V-neck situation. Not like a V-neck t-shirt, like a V-neck thing. I don't know. I don't know anything about dresses anymore. So she's wearing like a red dress with a really low cut neckline and a sash, which is also red and she's wearing red high heels and I'm wearing like the ski mask and doctor scrubs, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And the vibe somehow was I'm like her bodyguard assistant. Well, maybe it's more like she's telling me what to do. She's like a femdom and I'm doing whatever she's telling me to do. I don't even know what it was, but in the thing that we're filming, she's supposed to be like directing me to do stuff and she basically decides in the beginning for some reason to like go off script and instead of delivering her line as planned she grabs me by the waist and pulls me in and kisses me which is shocking to everyone because in this world that I'm dreaming about she is straight 
She has invalidated our relationship in high school and she completely went off script, but it was super hot. I was really into it. And she kind of was a villain somehow and she was like ordering me around and I was really into it. But we had to pause the filming of the scene because the fire alarm went off. <laughs> so we, we had to evacuate the building and then I woke up. <laughs> that was the most vivid thing that happened in the dream, but there were two distinct other parts that were related. It was basically, we're still filming. We have this big crew again. We shot one that was like, we were being chased by this murderous clown type character, but it, it wasn't scary because it was scripted. So it was fine. It was just like, that was what we were filming. So it didn't feel scary. It just felt like routine. And we actually ran through the scene so many times. We just kept doing it and it felt like that. At the end of the scene, we're being chased and we somehow find ourselves in this room where we're able to corner the clown that was chasing us. So like the, the tables had turned and we murdered the clown with an axe and it was extremely violent and graphic. But again, it was scripted that way. So I guess it was fine. I don't know. <laughs> and then there was a third one where we were in a car chase, but we were in go-karts and we were in a bunch of fiery go-kart crashes. And this was another point during all of this filming where my girlfriend from high school kind of went off script again and started making out with me, but it was completely inappropriate. It was like not part of the scene. But yeah, that's, that's what I remember from the rest of that dream. Very juicy. <laughs> Very what? Very juicy. Very juicy. Oh, juicy. Yeah, it's juicy. <laughs> there are layers, I'm sure. Okay, so you were filming a series of music videos. But in the, in the dream, they were music videos, but not porn videos, but they were music videos or were they kind of both? Kind of like a hybrid, probably. I mean, well, one thing of note is that in October, I filmed a music video that also, it, it was kind of like a, a BDSM themed music video. So, and it was, in, it was filmed in the basement of a, a space where I go to play parties often. So it, yeah, it was kind of like that. The only person you knew was the director. Who was the director? It's the director of Aorta, which is the porn that I'm in, the porn company. And from what I know of your discussions about your work with Aorta, my general sense is that your feelings about this director are positive, but how do you describe your feelings about this person in the dream? Oh, in the dream, it's the same as real life. I totally adore them. They're fantastic. That's what I thought. <laughs> so... Somebody that you really admire from your real life is running the show. And I think that's some, an image that's worth noting is that there's this person that you really respect and admire is in charge. Yeah. So note that. Got it. Because as we just discussed, everybody in your dream is yourself. Right. Okay. So there's some part of yourself that knows deep down there's a person that you know and respect and admire that's running the show here. So we'll bookmark that the uh first girlfriend that you ever had was the lead and this was a really devastating relationship really important pivotal and ultimately devastating relationship the scene that you filmed was in an attic in a concrete building so tell me more about this concrete building how did you feel about this building was it warm was it cold was it dirty was it clean hmm. 
Well, I did it feel did it feel inviting or did it feel harsh? Well, I I actually really love concrete buildings. I like the aesthetic of like East Berlin kind of like communism buildings. I love that. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I really like the aesthetic of like all concrete buildings. So it, it might seem like a little bit harsh or like cold but to me it feels comforting and aesthetically very pleasing to me I like the uniformity and the the hardness of concrete I would say that for me it's like it's not super out of place in my life oftentimes buildings especially houses are representations of our life and the different compartments in our life so it's very interesting to hear you describe this building that you really love that appears harsh but it's also very comforting and it's very uniform and there's a certain structure about it that you really like. Yeah. So I think that's interesting to note that this building that you describe, you know, you describe it in these words and the, the attic, I feel like the attic has come up in conversations recently in other people's dreams and attic or being in the roof. The attic is kind of a place where we often, well, I guess rather than projecting my impressions of what addicts are, like, what are your feelings about addicts? And like, what were your feelings about this particular attic? What was the space like? Well, this particular attic was surprising because I wouldn't expect a concrete building to have an attic per se. So it was kind of out of place. And it felt weird that like there was one at all, especially like the way that we all had to like get into it and then lug all of the equipment up into it. Like there were just like a lot of complications with getting into the space and it I guess in retrospect, it's like, why were we going up there in the first place? So the whole building is concrete. We could have gone anywhere. (laughs) I don't really love attics. I actually feel pretty uncomfortable going into them. I'm not totally sure why, but I remember in my parents' house where they still live in New Jersey, the entrance to the attic was in my walk-in closet. And a lot of my friends who would come and visit used to say that it made them uncomfortable that the the entrance to the attic was in my walk-in closet. And I didn't really think too much of it, but I did not like going up there. In fact, in the years that I lived there, I'm pretty sure I never actually went up at all. And I wouldn't open it. I, it made me a little bit uncomfortable, I guess. So, Whoa. Yeah. It's so interesting. This is interesting because in some ways, although they're in opposite directions, I feel like basements and attics often represent similar things because they're the spaces above or below us in in our living spaces, essentially that are like kind of out of sight and out of mind. And they kind of represent the the parts of our lives or the parts of our mind that we don't necessarily access. And in your case, you describe an attic and particularly you're reminded of the first attic that you jumped to describe is the attic at your home where you were growing up and how it makes you uncomfortable. So in your case, addicts are a weird and uncomfortable place. Yeah. Despite the the fact that you love the building that it's attached to. Also, it's, it's interesting that you describe that getting into the attic is really complicated. Yeah, that really stuck out. Well, I feel like we've talked about addicts and basements being almost the place, like it's the place of your subconscious, aka the place where you often repress a lot of emotion or the place where you kind of push down things that you don't necessarily want to come up to the surface. And that's why they're stored there. Yeah. They're the things that are locked away. So the notion that it's very complicated for you to get in there is worth definitely worth noting, especially since you said it was such a significant factor. 
So you're in the attic and you're filming a scene. You're wearing a black ski mask and you're wearing scrubs. Yes. How did you feel about the mask and the scrubs? I think it's a pretty cool look, honestly. <laughs> Seems comfy too. So you're into it. Yeah, I'm into it. And it sounded like there was like strobe lights and cool goth vibes. So it sounds like you're also kind of into that. Yeah. And then there's your girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend in a red flowy dress with red high heels. Yeah. And it sounds like she's just looking banging. Yeah, super hot. <laughs> yeah. And she's super dominant going off script and grabs you and kisses you. Mm-hmm. How did you feel when she kissed you? Awesome. I'm shocked. I was really surprised. Side note about colors. We're totally going to have to bring my mom onto a future episode to discuss this more. <laughs> this is really interesting that you're wearing a black ski mask and the girlfriend is wearing this red flowy dress with a red high heels. The color is black, white, and red. Oh, and you also, there, there were strobe lights that were probably white, right? Yes. Ah, so oh. the trifecta. The trifecta. <laughs> so there's black, white, and red. And these are things that my mom has talked about in the discussion about alchemy, the process of transformation in the subconscious. We're totally going to need to bring my mom on here to talk more about this and elaborate, because I think last time I talked about this with somebody, I fucked up the colors. No, Um, no. um, Well, because I had a dream that featured red and black and white appeared at the same time in terms of what people were wearing. Yeah. And your mom said that normally the red is the transformation. Carl Jung describes the process of alchemy as involving three stages, the blackening, the whitening, and the reddening, the negrito, libido, and rubido. What does alchemical imagery mean in your dream? The process of alchemy, you can think about it like the notion of transformation. And I'm not an expert in this, so this is why we really need to bring my mom on here. My mom has a PhD in mythology and depth psychology, so... She Damn. and she wrote papers about Carl Jung and alchemy. So she's going to be a guest nice. very soon, but just on a very high level. Alchemy as a practice is the idea of turning lead into gold, metaphorical lead into gold, taking the human spirit and transforming it from a base metal into the divine, into reaching enlightenment and reaching individuation. In alchemy, the process of heating metal and transforming it into another metal into a precious metal. The process of the blackening is when something is set to fire and it becomes black with smoke. And then as it heats up, it turns white. And then as it transforms, it comes out on the other side, transformed in red. It goes through the process of the reddening. So you can think about it as wood heats up or as as metal heats up, it, it changes and it transforms. So you see yourself wearing this black mask, which it's a mask. It's covering your face. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go through this room with these flashes, strobing white lights. And you see this woman that you love, that you're in love with, that kisses you. And she's wearing a r- red dress and high heels. And she's just a fucking badass. <laughs> and it's very it's interesting to think that this process of transformation of the, of the soul as I can imagine that over the course of anyone's life, and particularly over the course of your life, I can imagine that this process of transformation has been both a very spiritual and a very physical journey. Yeah. The process of this uh, 
mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical transformation of one state of being to another. I think it's interesting to note that throughout this process, you've used a lot of positive descriptive words. There's a lot of positive associations around this transformation or like seeing. It's kind of like the end result in this red is like surprising, but also something that you're into. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually links back to the first dream in a lot of ways because it's like this this has been your goal and like there has been some kind of surface level response in terms of that disgust and disappointment but deeper it's actually something that seems to be something that you're really excited about yeah and it's also interesting that there's the common the surface image of this person that you love but also really broke you really broke your heart that commonality between your ex-girlfriend and your mother um <laughs> you know <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because you use the word like, you know, she really invalidated the relationship and and by claiming that she was straight also invalidated, you know, the, the gayness of it, <laughs> yeah. which is like sounds like something that's also been coming up with, you know, your mom. So what you're saying is I have mommy issues. <laughs> 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 I mean, but we already knew that. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> but it's just interesting to note that despite these two figures that in many ways you faced invalidation in your real life, inside your dream, when it's you in your mind generating these images from your subconscious while you're sleeping you actually are generating so many positive feelings. And despite these layers that may make you second guess yourself, this notion of like, wait, is that, that's not right. She's going off script. And then there's a fire alarm and everybody bails where it's like, okay, well, is this too good to be true? Like, no, there's no way. The end of party, fire alarm, abort, abort. Like who pulled the fire alarm? Hmm. Do you know who pulled the fire alarm in your dream? No. Well, Hmm. if it was someone in your dream, we know that that person was probably yourself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's self-sabotage. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) What else is a showstopper than pulling the fire alarm and be like, all right, party's over. (laughs) Good point. Self-sabotage. Yeah. Just when the party was really getting going and you had the strobe lights, you had your ski mask and then mask in metaphorically comes off and you're wearing this red flowing sexy shit. <laughs> and you're like, nope, nope, can't, too good to be true, too good to be true, fire alarm. And I'm pulling the plug. And it's also interesting that it all happens in the attic, which is seemingly, you know, meant to be this like uncomfortable space and like a space where like you don't normally allow yourself to like explore that feeling or like whatever's going on with that transformation. Yeah. Hmm. If we look at this through the lens of masculine and feminine energy, and these are all just tools of perspective and none of this is set in stone. And I'm not saying any of this is science. This is all alchemy. (laughs) Um, You know, this is all magic here, but one perspective that we can use to look at this is the concept of masculine versus feminine energy. And we can traditionally think of masculine energy as the outward phallic projection into the world. 
and feminine energy is like the inward receptive energy. Um, it's generally considered more flowing and emotional. Masculine is more like static. Yeah, it's more static, outward, and rigid. And it's interesting that deep in your attic, you have this image where you're engaging with this beautiful woman. On some level, if that's reflecting your inward energy, deep down in your attic, you have some positive feelings about yourself. But you really keep them down. You keep them locked up in the attic. Yeah. In some ways, maybe you hide it because on the surface level, there's so much pain and hurt there. But when you go below the surface level, you actually see that there's a lot of value, both in the experience and in you, yourself as a person. Mm -hmm. When we talk about masculine and feminine, obviously it's like the energies that are stereotyped. Masculine and feminine is like a very Western interpretation of yin and yang. So it's like that's the language that we use in Western culture to describe these energies, but they're not necessarily actually linked to gender per se, but often very, I guess, stereotypical aspects of what you would expect from gender, right? So it's like the feminine is emotional and flowing and the masculine is more directive, all the things we just spoke about. And I think it's interesting to also think about given what you have been cultivating and the image, the outward image that you've been building on and working on expressing both physically and I guess the image that you are wanting to portray to the world I think it's also interesting to think about that the feminine is the energy that's in the attic yeah and I know that we've had like other conversations about like it's even more difficult for you to tap into the feminine because the feminine is the thing that you're trying to transform away from in a lot of ways in terms of stereotypes of what the feminine is you know and again in terms of what we're talking about with the body it's not it's like we know that as humans there's no gender specific reason why we can't be equally expressive of emotions but it's like we have this standard of how we're meant to express emotions in either form right exactly yeah and we definitely have talked about this it's It's like I, for example, like I love wearing makeup and I have for like a long time, but I kind of stopped wearing makeup like a year, two years now, because whenever I wear it, I'm perceived as a woman or I get misgendered. And it's, you know, like I, I've kind of like weighed the pros and cons and the cons won. So I kind of just stopped wearing makeup and I started wearing the same thing every day and you know, yeah. one thing led to another and now I wear a black t-shirt and black jeans every single day. So, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What do you think of that imagery in terms of the feminine and the emotional aspect being in the attic or being in like this kind of repressed container? I don't know what the... A locked away space. A locked away space, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that, that definitely resonates. Yeah. Because like I, I feel like as... I, I am looking forward to a day where I feel comfortable enough in the way people see my body that I can kind of access and project more feminine qualities about myself. Yeah, I think, I think like, you know, I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking about like the larger trans experience. And yeah, I think like I have repressed like a lot of feminine qualities in an effort to kind of like further my goal as a trans masculine person. Yeah. I really think that this like dream really speaks to that. 
like the thing that I love about it, it's like, you know, in this very imaginative, elaborative way of, but it's like things that we've spoken about in consciousness, but it's fun to think about how your brain has processed it and then represented that image to you. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So the last part of the dream, you're still being filmed and you're filming a scene where there's this murderous clown. Mm. This part of the dream I think was super interesting because you're being chased by this character, the murderous clown, and (laughs) you just kept doing it. You weren't actually afraid of it. No. You knew that it was part of the script. Yes. I think this could potentially speak to the notion of the scripts that we have for ourselves, like the scripts that we have in our daily life and our inner monologue. Like what script do we read to ourselves every day? And there's this murderous clown that is chasing after you, presumably wants to kill you. But at this point, you're so familiar with the script that you're not afraid of it anymore. Hmm. Like you're able to identify that this is just part of the script. So I'm curious, what is this murderous clown telling you in your daily life from your subconscious? I think it's very interesting that you and this image of your ex-girlfriend were able to corner it and murder that motherfucker. (laughs) Like you were able to strike back. You knew what was happening. You knew that the clown was chasing you and you knew how to stop it. You were able to corner the clown, which is also part of the script now, because you know exactly how to corner that clown and you know exactly how to stop that motherfucker. Hmm. This notion of being on script versus off script is also interesting because there are these moments where she goes off script and it's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that when you said that you liked this concrete building, it was because it was very structured mm-hmm. and uniform and very uniform. Yeah. So the notion of going off script can probably be anxiety inducing, I imagine. So you're stepping away from the structure. Yeah. Like you were aware of the concept like, Oh shit, this person's going off script. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the results were not disastrous. Right. The results were ultimately satisfying. Yes. Would you say? Yes. So there's also some part of your subconscious that's saying, hey, maybe there's some room to go off script here. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. As much as you love structure, there's room for spontaneity and there's room for, there's a desire for something that's out of the normal script. You said that this is the most vivid dream that you've had in a while. Mm -hmm. I think the more vivid an image is in our dreams the more there are overlapping themes in our life that synergize and create this imagery in our mind. Because this notion of script, the one level, the structure is what allows you to not be afraid. And the structure is actually what allows you to identify those things that are chasing you on the inside. That structure also allows you to identify and cut that shit out, ax that shit. But there's also a part of you that recognizes when going off script can be really indulgent and satisfying. Yeah. And it could lead to a lot of excitement, like fiery go-karts and fiery crashes <laughs> and making out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Which all sounds pretty fucking exciting. It's, yeah, it's pretty great. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. What, do, you have a, you know, do you have any thoughts about the notion of the script and structure and what is the script saying? You know, what, what does the script mean in your life? 
the script is, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, it definitely resonates. I feel, especially under quarantine lately, the only thing holding me together really has been the sense of structure and being able to control all of the things in my own space and my life. Like Lenny knows that I'm a pretty structured person in my regular <laughs> day-to-day life, but in <laughs> coronavirus times, the structure has become even more of a thing. Like I eat the same exact thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, not the same thing for all the meals, but every day the same breakfast, the same lunch, and then the same dinner. I still wear the same stuff that I wear in my regular day-to-day life. I have a workout program that's pretty rigid and intense that I've been continuing and I live by myself. So I have full control over my space and I don't have to worry about any other living thing disrupting it. So this structure has been really important to me. And yeah, I mean, there are like a few, there have been a few times like during this time where I've intentionally disrupted the structure kind of in a, in a bit of a self-sabotage way, but just to make it a little bit more exciting. You know, like uh, there have been some like pretty fun sex parties that I've gone to on Zoom, drinking every once in a while by myself. Yeah. yeah, so the times that you've broken the structure, you've actually felt really good about it. Yeah, I have. I mean, obviously like it does kind of create this sense of anxiety when there's something on my schedule that is out of line. There was a particular trans mask like jerk off party that happened a couple of weeks ago and it was awesome but leading up to it I was like I basically woke up that morning and I was like I'm not going like I'm not gonna log in that's too much and I spent the whole day feeling like I was not gonna log in and then it was 15 minutes before it started when I realized I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna jerk off with all these other trans mask people and it's gonna be awesome And I did, I did go in and it was cool. Like there were two people there that I know and everybody else, there there was about 15 people. I didn't know anybody else. And yeah, it was, it was actually great and quite satisfying and I'm glad that I did it. (laughs) Mixing it up. Just break, break the script, go off script, (laughs) improvise. (laughs) I think we've covered so much. Do we have an Um, episode? I think this is a really solid episode. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad (laughs) it's kind of nice too because I feel like some dreams have been centered around corona and other dreams have been kind of joking this is like corona cameo like I feel like in this instance it's like corona made a small cameo but that wasn't like the center (laughs) yeah just gay stuff yeah a lot of gay stuff (laughs) well now you have diversity Like that's the point. It's like we're gonna make a podcast that's gonna reflect the dreams of our people. (laughs) Well, the the funny thing is, so the the red, the black, and the white was my dream. It hasn't come up with anyone else yet, right? Not yet. But so like, but it's weird because it's like an it's an archetype. It's a archetypical imagery, like which is like it means that it's happened often enough in the human experience that it's very pervasive. Yeah, it's pervasive in dreams. And like I didn't think anything of it, but I also had a very vivid dream. We actually recorded it because Aisha was in it, who's like our friend slash I don't really know. Yeah, yeah, love interest. So it's like transformation was a repetitive theme 
in the dream. It's like a fractal almost. There's like layers of the theme that are represented at different. Yeah, in different, different ways. Layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now that's when I heard you say red, black, white. I was like, whoa, <laughs> my God, like this is real. Like this happens. Wow. Yeah, that is weird. Damn, this has been so much fun. I can't wait to listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bud, how can people support your films if they wish to support you? Yeah, great question. So I have been working with Aorta, which is a queer porn company based in Brooklyn, New York. They're really awesome. The director, Max Capacity, has been with them for a long time now. All the films are made basically in collaboration with the performers. So, you know, like, my debut film was basically a thing that I came up with, I conceived, and it was really great. But you can go to Aorta Films Will Never Die on Instagram, and uh, you can support their Patreon and get access to all 50-plus of their films that they have on there. Bud Light's bio is on the Aorta website. It's okay. in the community section. It just says, like, I'm a sporty faggot pup who likes to get fucked by the coach in the locker room or something. <laughs> I love it. Um, Elevator pitch. Boom. <laughs> Literally, that's what it says. <laughs> well, it's my bedtime. I gotta go to sleep now. <laughs> Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for sharing your dream today. Anytime. This is actually very appropriate that it's your bedtime. So for now, sweet dreams, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, you too. Same to you. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Good night. Good night. Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk About Dreams. This episode was co-produced by Brandon Hogstead and Eleni Matteo. Editing and sound design by Danny Perez. For more information, visit letstalkaboutdreams.com. If you're interested in having your own dreams interpreted, I also do private sessions. You can send inquiries to podcastltad at gmail.com. That's the word podcast and the letters L-T-A-D at gmail.com.